You're listening to the Redemption Hill Church podcast and our first episode of the Veracity series. Veracity is a series in which we'll take a current social issue and look at it from a biblical perspective. Today we're talking about a very sensitive issue, abortion. So let's get started. Hey everybody, Pastor Chad here. Welcome to the Redemption Hill Church Podcast. If this is your first time listening, then thanks for coming. This particular series is produced once a month. However, our Sunday morning messages are available weekly. Now, let's get to the message. Well, it is a delight to be with y'all tonight. Um, Thank you for letting me come and share what my passion is, and that's the ministry of a women's pregnancy center. We were delighted to be able to have your pastor with us last Thursday at our annual prayer summit where he came and and led us. We closed the center for for the day, and then our pastors come and pray with us for the needs of the upcoming year. And and prayer is just foundational and very important to us. Um, And we we loved spending that time with him. So he got to see an up-close and personal peek of, you know, a little bit about what we do. But uh, anyway, um, I'm, I know that a couple of the couples in this room were able to join us at our um, banquet in September, but for most of y'all probably not terribly familiar with us. But most people, you might be surprised to know that our primary mission has nothing to do with pregnancy. Our primary mission is to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so that is of first importance to us, and um, it, is, it is foundational to everything that we do. Um, secondly, our second priority is to share um, factual information on what their pregnancy options would be. They, they have three choices, and so we want them to get good information on all three choices and then hope that they will choose one of the two life-affirming options. But uh, we, consider, um, the, um, we consider the gospel of first importance. We offer free pregnancy tests, free ultrasounds, um, we do uh, biblical counseling, we have material assistance for those who choose to carry and parent and um, need some extra help, then we, have, we provide things like diapers and maternity clothes and everything that she needs to bring her baby home from the hospital. Um, we are located on Pensacola Street, which is now, we have now been surrounded by FSU, uh, we serve all three college campuses, and we that move to that location was intentional. We uh, the college population is, as you can imagine, very abortion vulnerable. Ten percent of college-age women each year will get pregnant, statistically, and just within the three-campus area, that means 3,700 women will get pregnant every year. And for most of them, that, that would be considered an unwelcome piece of news. Um, roughly half of our clients are college students. A large portion of the remaining half are economically disadvantaged. But we pray for, we love, and we welcome all of the girls that cross our threshold. And last year, we served nearly 1,200 new clients with these services and nearly 5,000 ongoing points of service. That's a lot of counseling. Um, but we just don't serve men. Uh, you might, women, you might be surprised we serve men as well. Uh, we have male counselors that meet only with the partners of the clients that come in, and we have come to appreciate that men um, play a huge role in the decision of the future of their baby. 
So we never want to underestimate the influence that the partners have in, in the future of their babies. So who does all this counseling? Uh, we have an army of about 60 men and women who are volunteer um, counselors, and they serve once a week. They're engaged, our men and women, in biblical counseling. And they, for the most part, are peer counselors that we, we train extensively and shepherd over a three-month period long before we allow them to fly solo. Um, some are trained in the crisis counseling. That is the part where I call it the on-the-ledge counseling. We talk them off the ledge. They come in scared to death, and they administer the pregnancy test at that point and then do the... Uh, uh, that's where we talk to them about their spiritual life and, and um, you know, ways that we can partner with them and help them. And usually we are giving them the news that will rock their world. Some serve as ultrasound nurses. These are women who have medical training. Mostly they're RNs who have give non-diagnostic ultrasounds to their, our clients and allowing them a peek inside the womb. And I've already told you about the male counselors. We also have moms and babies room counselors, and these counselors engage them in ongoing counseling as they receive material assistance. We're not about giving out stuff. We want to, have, we want to engage in long-term uh, relationship with them. Um, in addition, we, some of these counselors will conduct classes, such as our parenting classes, discipline classes, and they'll teach abstinence in our community. So we could not see the volume of clients that we do without these men and women who have heeded the call on their life and have stepped past the fear, as in my case, and joined the ministry. Uh, they are the front lines of the ministry. And all the fundraising, the training, the shepherding that we do is to enable these men and women that sacred moment where they can go into the counseling room and they're privileged to have a front row seat of what the Holy Spirit is going to do in that room. And it's pretty amazing. And it's our great privilege to share the amazing gift that Jesus has to offer. And last year, 31 of our precious clients made a profession of faith. Can I hear an amen? amen. I mean, that's amazing. You think about that. But possibly the best way for you all to get a peek inside of what the ministry is like um, would be through a client story. Everybody loves stories, and I, th I particularly love this one. Um, so picture in your mind a um, tall, willowy, athletic, young F um, FSU student who has long, blonde, flowing hair. Okay, y'all got her? Her name is, is Lindsay. And she recently appeared in our um, center flanked by her parents. Usually we don't see them flanked by their parents. But in this case, they were there to get information on on abortion. So let's um, hear her story in her own words. It's still hard for me to watch. <laughs> As you heard, um, that, that was a hard fight for that baby. Um, our, our crisis counselor, as you heard, took, took her back into a room and met with her had a spiritual deep discussion with her, learned that, that Lindsay truly did love the Lord, but she was conflicted. She was trying to honor her parents and yet honor what she knew was the right thing to do. And um, when we have a, a baby, come, a parent come in who has 
an adoption, an abortion scheduled imminently, either that day, the next day, or whatever. The first thing we do is we is we send out a um, a prayer blast to our prayer warriors. And so this particular um, event, you could feel the spiritual warfare going on over this. Was, it was um, heavy in the center. You could you could feel you could feel there was a battle going. So so we. Um, got our prayer warriors on it, and amazing things happened. She, she was um, able to find hope at our center. And then, once again, out in, out in the community, pulled back into, by fear and to doubt as to what she should do. Uh, she was being pressured by her boyfriend. Her boyfriend wanted her abort. He threatened her that their relationship would, would end if she did not abort the baby. And that's a very common threat that we see, a form of coercion that we see. Um, her, her father was deeply concerned about a lifelong tie to this particular man. Um, her mother was um, fearful. Lindsay was the state track star, by no exaggeration. She had an amazing future. She was at FSU on scholarship, on a track scholarship, studying for her master's so she could come back and coach at a at a university. Um, if she were to maintain her pregnancy, she would lose her scholarship. She would lose a place for her to live. Um, these are real obstacles to carrying your baby. She had the classic obstacles around her to carry her baby. Uh, next step was the ultrasound. You saw that referred to. Um, our ultrasound is an amazing tool. 80% of the moms and dads who will see their baby's heartbeat on an ultrasound will change to carry. That is huge. It is huge. And often we will see, often it's the guy that will be the first one who will do the 180, and you'll see him sit there with the tears rolling down his eyes. In this case, the boyfriend would not come because he was steadfastly um, intended upon abortion. Uh, but th in this particular case, um, this baby gave her mother and her grandparents quite a show. She was bouncing around in the womb, having a good time, waving at her parents, waving at her mom. Um, and it was, it was amazing. You know, God fearfully and wonderfully knit this baby together in this womb, and, and there was nothing like this picture to show that. So at the end of the ultrasound, actually, is when the grandmother decided, I can't endorse the ending of the life of my granddaughter or grandchild, whatever it was going to be. And, but the, her father remained steadfast in, the, in her, his resolve to abort. So you heard how, at that point, we went to our, our president of our board has a Christian maternity home, as you heard. We took them, when we told her parents that we would stand beside her, walk along beside her um, through her pregnancy, we meant it. And he didn't believe us. And so we took him to the abortion, uh, to the abortion clinic, to the maternity home, had him meet there with the staff, and, and ensured her that she could move in that day. He, had, he, at that point, his heart melted. You could see the resolve melt, and um, he decided it was that it, it was all right that she should go ahead and carry the baby. When she got, when they got back home, fear, as you heard, set set in, and and that was, you know, once again they were wanting to, to abort. So um, you know it's it's difficult when when we um, 
you know, we wrap our hearts around these, these moms and we want to walk through them, we want to be there for them, whatever their decision. Fortunately, 80% of our clients will choose life, but that 20% just has this gut-wrenching decision that they make that they feel that they still have no choice. And as, as Chad told you, one-third of American women will have an abortion in their lifetime. So statistically, even across this room, you can just imagine, whether you all know it or not, most of you know people who, who have had this in their past. And, um, you know, this is, this is a very difficult su subject. You know, Satan, co Satan comes to kill, steal, and destroy. And, you know, he, he bats a, a thousand with abortion because it's, you know, it will do all of those things. And women will carry this secret and guilt and shame. Most people who are post-abortive, you will never know. And, uh, but our Father does not want that for us. He wants us to be healthy. And so there's hope and there's help available. Um, we, we have a biblically-based abortion recovery program. It's a 13-week Bible study. And often what we will hear, mostly for women who are of older age, will say, you know, I've dealt with this. Um, I'm fine. I don't need to worry about this in the future. I'm, I'm, I've prayed about it, and I'm good. And it's amazing when you go through the program how that is not necessarily the case. So it, it's a it's a very safe place for these women to come, where they can talk, speak with other women who have been through something similar. It's very, it's confidential. It's off-site. I never know who goes through them. The facilitators are post-abortive, so they understand. And there's true healing, and it's amazing the healing that goes through. So let me encourage you, there's centers like ours across the country. If you know people in other areas that are post-abortive, encourage them to seek help because it is truly life-changing. And actually, we have a class starting in February. So just tuck that away somewhere. So you're probably wondering what happened to Lindsay. So what is the end of her story? So let me show you. This is Lynn. This is Lindsay. She is the daughter of the Most High King. And uh, it is just, it is a blessing to be able to walk alongside her during her pregnancy. After this picture was taken, she went on to have a beautiful baby girl. Uh, she's moved back home. She has reconciled with her parents. Her parents are now probably the proudest grandparents you can imagine. She finished her master's, and she is now coaching at a university in her hometown. And this little girl is the light of her life. So she has done it and done it well against all the odds. So um, it, it's, you know, just to God be the glory. And this little girl will, will join 171 other babies who will t draw their first breath this year, this past year. So um, I just... <coughs> And we serve an awesome God. We have the amazing opportunity as broken vessels made righteous only by Jesus to minister in love to a broken community. I believe that God allows his children an exit door before we commit a sin. Lindsay was fully aware of who we were before she crossed our threshold. Her church is one of our strongest partners. And we were her, her escape chute. The word tells us in 1 Corinthians 10:13 that no temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. And God is faithful. 
and he will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will provide a way out so you can endure it. So I love the story of grace and redemption because it exemplifies the body of Christ working together. You know, we had her crisis counselor. We had her ultrasound nurse. Um, we had her, the prayer warriors. We had the maternity home. We had her church who um, came alongside her in this amazing way and wrapped their arms around her to support her financially and spiritually during her walk. And they're all doing exactly what the church should be doing. And so this is our client. You know, this is, this is um, she's our daughter. She's our, you know, our sister. She's our granddaughter. She's the girl that sits next to you in your pew at church. You know, these are, these are our clients. These are not those girls. These are our girls that we're seeing. And we love on them. We love having the opportunity to spend time with them. But this ministry would not exist without God's people. We draw our swords and daily battle for these moms and their babies because life matters to us. And life is sacred. And it's precious. But more importantly, life matters to God. In Psalm 139, I know you all are familiar with this verse, but he has knit us together in our mother's womb, and we are fearfully and wonderfully made. If life matters to you, then there's something every single person in this room can do about this issue. You know, if God is pricking your heart to do something, listen to him, because he has a purpose for you for this very, very important issue. You know, prayer. If, if you want to get involved with us, there's ways to get involved with us. You can, if not, um, like, for instance, you can lobby for a life issue. I was at the Capitol yesterday lobbying on, on some life issues. You can call your senator, get involved in that. You can uh, pray. Our prayer, prayer is foundational to this ministry. Um, the, you know, the spiritual warfare that goes on over this ministry is, un, is, is very real. And so our prayer warriors, that's a very, very important uh, part of the ministry. Our counselors, you know, our counselors are, as I mentioned to you, the different categories, they are our hands and our feet of the ministry. And they are volunteer peer counselors that we fully train. And we desperately need more counselors. We have 60, uh, an army of 60, and it's not nearly enough. So if God is calling you, I learned a long time ago that if God is calling you, he has already equipped you to do this, and we will train you. Um, if um, some people aren't called to counsel, some people are called to write checks. We like those people too. So um, if you're called, and I learned, you know, I, I, when I first started this years ago, particularly in the development end of the ministry, I used to pray, Lord, you know, you own the cattle on a thousand hills, and one of those cows can write us a $200,000 check. Why don't you just find somebody to write us a $200,000 check and we can skip all this fundraising? And then, you know, as I grew in that, I began to realize that this is a ministry of his people, of his church. And he wants the people writing $5 checks as well as he wants them writing, you know, $5,000 checks. So it's a blessing to his church as well as it is to us. But, um, you know, there's ways of doing that. The, these uh, monthly supporters are the backbone of our ministry. We, we take no financial um, support from any government entity, every dollar that we raise comes from his church, from his people. We have two major fundraisers. If you're, uh, hopefully you noticed this on the way in, uh, one of our fundraisers is coming up. It's our Walk for Life, and we hold it at the Car Museum. It's March 5th, and it is just fun. 
we just have a good time. It's a family-friendly thing. We have tethered hot air balloon rides and, you know, all sorts of fun stuff to do. So, you know, please consider being a, a walking with us, raising, you know, raising sponsorships for us. We've got it now so tech, tech involved that you can you can walk from your computer and never, you know, never have to ask a person face to face to to support you at all. It's 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 so easy. Some people throw us baby showers. That's important. Um, and some people give us diapers. We, we give away roughly 30,000 diapers a year, and that's in our operating budget. Um, so our churches supply those things for us, and I understand you all have started doing that for us already, which is, which is exciting. And uh, some of you, none of that may be ringing your chimes, but um, some of you could get involved by cutting the grass or you know, making food or you know, coming to fix our air conditioner or, you know, there's some gifting in each of you somewhere that you can get involved, either at our center or, or at a center somewhere. Um, I have one other story. Uh, do I have time for this, Chad? Uh, I have one other story. Uh, there's, this, um, <laughs> there's this young woman that came in. Most of our clients are very sweet and appreciative of, of the help that they they receive from us, but every once in a while you get you get the ones that are a little bit harder hearted. And this particular young woman came in um, about nine months ago, and she she had a wall built around her that Nehemiah would have been proud of. I mean, she just she was angry, she was mad, she was closed. She was here for a pregnancy test, and so we gave her a pregnancy test. We talked with her about her counselor talked with her about her spiritual um, matters and, and wanted to see where she stood. She proudly proclaimed that she was an atheist, um, thought that anything about Jesus was ridiculous, that we were ridiculous, that, you know, uh, just give her the pregnancy test. So we honored that, gave her a pregnancy test. It was fortunately negative. And um, then we started to talk to her about abstinence, which is the natural path that when they have a negative test, we want to talk to them about how they can not get in this situation again. And uh, so she thought that was ridiculous, and so she stormed out of the center mad. And um, so we, you know, called her again as our protocol um, dictates in 48 hours, and she hung up on the counselor. And so we just closed her case and, you know, sent her on her way. And so um, a few weeks ago, this young woman shows up at our center again. Um, only this time to um, speak to her counselor and to apologize to her counselor. And her, that particular counselor wasn't in the center, so she talked to our office manager and she said, you know, after I left here, I bumped into the gospel all over FSU. And he said, it was the strangest thing. Everywhere I went, there was the gospel bring, being presented to me. And so my boyfriend and I started going to a Navigator's Bible study where, where they both found Christ. And she um, came back in not only to apologize for her behavior, but she came back in to fill out a volunteer application. Okay, in my flesh, <laughs> I would have thought this is the last person who would have, God would have ever used to send her back in to, to volunteer with us. And so let me read to you what... Each of them have to fill out an application and, and, and write a, a part of a testimony. And so let me uh, read to you what her, what her uh, part of her application said. 
said, last time I walked into this center, I was a stubborn atheist, and I thought I would never set foot in a church again, let alone become a Christian. But God changes people's hearts, and I want to be part of an organization that has such a powerful mission. Coming here had a profound impact on my life. Now I feel it's time for me to repay that and give you that experience to someone else in need. So um, he turned her life around, totally, total 180. So I say that to say, if he can use her, and she is now in the process of volunteering for us, if he can use her, who can't he use? So as the battle for the unborn heats up, God is bringing more and more abortion-intended and abortion-vulnerable men and women to us. It's amazing. They're getting more and more intently abortion-intended. These men and women believe that taking the life of their unborn child is the only hope. Because of the support of our churches and our partners, we tenderly and confidently meet them with the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We share with them the truth. With the fruit of the Spirit, we listen to them, investing in their stories. We give them options they never knew they had. We share a vision for the plans that God has for them. Then we equip them to choose life for their children. Through it all, we clearly explain who Jesus is and God's plan for rescuing all of us. At the end of the session, these clients have sensed the care and concern of the counselors here, and in addition to the peace of God as they walk in the door. So I continue to stand in awe and amazement of how he provides for this work that he is so jealous over. I feel incredibly blessed that he's given me the opportunity to watch his mighty work in the lives of so many men and women. So thank you for letting me have the opportunity to share my heart with you about the ministry. So hopefully everybody got a, um, a little handout. The girls in the back have it. Here's the deal. It's like 712. And uh, those of you who have little ones at 730, if you, if you could, you go rescue the youth workers downstairs so I don't get in trouble afterwards. Um, I appreciate Jamie's heart, the way she communicated, and seeing it um, on the, in its arena of dealing with people on an everyday basis um, and, and the compassion that she has. And so, as I say this, I don't want to come across as not having compassion or love. Here, one of the things that I'm greatly convicted about is that God's allowed me a place to serve him as a pastor. And so I need to be faithful to him and to his word. I need to be faithful to to communicate truth. And, and sometimes there's truth that we all love and embrace, right? I mean, like when we talk about the love of Jesus, we all like to hear those things, right? But there's sometimes there's, there's truth that we stand firm on, and, um, and it's sometimes not always what we want to hear. Not that we don't want to hear about life is precious, but, but, but in this, I, I want us um, to look at some scripture, because at the end of the day, when we talk about veracity, this idea of these different social issues that we'll discuss, we want um, the lens in which we make our choices not to be based on what Jamie says, or not to be based upon what I would say necessarily, 
but we want it to be based on what the Bible says. Okay? At the end of the day, we're looking for having a biblical worldview. So whatever subject we talk about, there's application found in the Bible. And, and so this morning, I was, I've, been, I've been thinking about this topic for so long. And I, whether you know this or not, January 23rd, 1973, was the date in which Roe vs. Wade took place. And so we're just past, right? A few days past the day in which, I don't want to say we celebrate that day, but we remember that date. And I was, I've been in angst over some of this. How do we communicate this? How do we communicate it in love? But also, how do we communicate it knowing what's going on? And I intentionally wanted our youth to be part of this conversation because these are realities in which our youth are facing. We've, this past year, we, in, in, in moments when we take prayer requests at the end, I've heard them pray for at least one girl in middle school who was pregnant. Okay, And so it's not like this is something that one day may affect them. This is a topic that affects them today. And I'm sure Jamie could share with stories of, of girls in, in the middle, school, or middle school and high school that are showing up. Here's, here's the deal, and I, I, this comes across maybe very forceful, and we're going to get to some of this. But I, I was listening to a guy that I greatly respect, I'm a pastor, former pastor. Now his name is David Platt. And he talked about this subject. He wrote a book called Counterculture. And in Counterculture, we're gonna, I'm, I'm kind of using this as a reference point for a lot of the different discussions we're going to have along the way. But when David Platt was talking about this subject, and he was, he was saying, like, listen, we can look at this from, from two perspectives. Really, the key of the issue is um, what is inside the womb. It's either a life or it's not a life. What is the unborn? And, and we have to kind of come to grips with that question. We have to determine what that is. As we make this decision. And what he said was this. He goes, listen, if, if the unborn inside a woman's body is nothing but tissue, isn't a human life, isn't a human being, then there's no need for justification for abortion. Okay? So if, if, if that is simply just tissue, mass, Whatever inside a woman's body, if that's simply it, if it's not human life, then there's really no need to try and create justification against abortion. However, if that within a woman's body is a living human being, then there's no justification for an abortion. Now that flies in the face of society today. And, and when we make statements like that, when we say that, then we hear stories about um, the health of the mother. We hear stories about rape and incest and some of that stuff we were going to hopefully touch on. But here's what I want us to do. And I don't want us to run through this um, to a point where we feel like we're flying. That's why I printed all this stuff out. Hopefully everybody got this. We can't cover all the Bible has to say on abortion in one session, let alone 15, 20, 30 minutes. Okay, so this part of this is your homework. This is you taking it home, looking at all this stuff that we have printed out. This isn't all, we haven't exhausted all that scripture has to say. This is just a few highlights. This is a statement that goes way beyond just abortion and sanctity of life. But look at this. This this statement says, God has sovereign authority as creator. I don't know that we have this verse in your booklet, but 
But Job 33, 4 says, The Spirit of God has made me, and the breath of the Almighty gives me life. You see, when we begin to engage in um, situations, and when you, you see this in this documentation here, let's go through them quickly here. This first section of Bible verses that we have listed for you discusses and shows how life begins in the womb. Um, I, I think Jamie quoted Psalms 139. But look at Job. We just quoted a minute ago. Job 10, 8 through 12 says, Your hands fashioned me and made me, and now you have destroyed me altogether. Remember that you have made us, made me like clay and will not return and will return me to dust. Did you not pour me out like milk and curdle me like cheese? You clothed me with the skin and flesh and knit me together with bones and sinews. You have granted me life and steadfast love and your care has preserved my spirit. And so Job right there in that passage, and we all know the story of Job and all the things that he faced. In those few verses, he's saying, God, like you formed me. Like every part of me you formed. And this goes back to this idea of, of him being the creator. So he's, he's created, and this idea of life taking place begins in the womb. Psalm 139.13 through 16, but that first verse, you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. Like how much more clear does that have to be? Psalm 51.5, this is David. David, the story of David and Bathsheba, we all know that story, right? Well, David, Psalm 51, the whole chapter is this, is David lamenting his sins. And in verse 5, he makes this, he says, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Okay, look at that, that, that note I put in there. It's only a person can have a sin nature. David's statement already shows that he was a person at the point of conception. Okay, so again, if, we, if, we're, if we're grabbing, if we're following track with that first statement, if it's just tissue, if it's just whatever, if there's no life or anything to it, we don't need justification. But if it is life, if it is a human being, then there's no justification. How about the next section there, that God is creator and owner of all people. They belong to him, not others. Women, that, that child that you carry, whether you understand it or not, is not yours. That's something that God created. Genesis one twenty seven says, So God created man in his own image, and in the image of God he created him, male and female, he created them. Psalm 100 verse 3 says, Know the Lord is God, it is he who made us, and we are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. He's the owner. He's the creator. It's not us. That next section talks about how God has um, prerogatives over life and death. Genesis or Exodus 30, verse 13, in that passage where we talk about the Ten Commandments. One of those commandments, right? Is thou shalt not murder. And, and again, we put this note here. Murder is unjustified killing. To be clear here, in some cases, God specifically delegates to men the right to kill. Capital punishment, self-defense, just war. And so we, we, we try to sugarcoat even the terminology in which we 
refer to this. We don't want to call it a we don't want to call it murder, right? That's too hard. That's not palatable. Instead, we'll call it abortion. We'll give it a name. And as we talked about, God has this sovereign, as the sovereign creator, God has these prerogatives in his sovereignty to control life and death. And when we begin to engage in this, when we engage in abortion, we take that right from God. God hates the shedding of innocent blood. Proverbs 6, 16 and 17. There are six things that the Lord hates, seven that are an abomination to him. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, and hands that shed innocent blood. That's pretty strong language. Verse 16 says, there are six things that the Lord hates hates. Doesn't say dislikes. Doesn't say makes him feel a little uncomfortable. It says he hates the shedding of innocent blood. And I think one of the most impactful parts of this is that God has a special love for children. These verses we wrote in there, Matthew 18:10 says, "See what you see that you do not despise one of these little ones, for I tell you that in heaven their angels always see their faces, see the face of my Father who is in heaven. Luke eighteen sixteen says, But Jesus called them to him, saying, Let the little children come to me, and do not hinder them, for such belongs the kingdom of God. Matthew eighteen fourteen. So it is not the will of God who is in heaven that one of these little ones should perish. Psalm 127, 3. Behold, little children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb a reward. So I believe that this, I believe when we look at this biblically, I think when we look and we look at what God has to say, what, what God's word has to say, that God cherishes life at all stages. And, and, and we find ourselves today in a society that, that wants to be its own God and wants to make their own decisions. And, and listen, as Jamie said, I don't want for a second to come across as, listen, I've never, I've never personally been involved as a father with a woman who were even contemplating abortion. Okay, so I can't, I can't think from the perspective of a woman who, who finds out or gets, gets this news. I can't think of it from a a 14-year-old girl, 13-year-old girl in middle school. I can't understand it from a high school or a college student. I can't understand it from a single mom. I can't can't understand that, okay? So I'm not going to pretend to understand that. But we live in such a warped sense. Check this out. There's this lady, Mary Elizabeth Williams, wrote this article, So What If Abortion Ends Life? This is from January 13, 2013. Now, I'm, I'm, we're going to put some of this up there. It says, and this is her quoting, right? She says, yet I know that throughout my pregnancies, I have never wavered for a moment in the belief that I was carrying human life inside of me. I believe that w- that's what a fetus is, a human life. And that doesn't make me one iota less solidly pro-choice. So this is a female. This is a lady who is 
pro-choice, who is, who is at the very beginning up front saying, listen, I know what I'm carrying. I know what's in my, inside me. I know this fetus is life, but that doesn't change my belief one iota. And then we see her rationale. And she says, here, here's the complicated reality in which we live. All life is not equal. That's a difficult thing for liberals like me to talk about, lest we wind up looking like death panel loving, kill your grandma and your precious baby stormtroopers. Yet a fetus can be a human life without having the same rights as the woman in whose body it resides. She's the boss. Her life and what is right for her circumstances and her health should automatically trump the rights of the non-autonomous entity inside of her. Always. That blows my mind. That's hard to digest. That's hard to, to understand because at the end of the day, what she's saying is that her life and her circumstances are more important than that child. And see, what we hear today continually when this debate rages is, well, this, this, this woman has a right to privacy. And listen, to a certain level, we all have rights of privacy, don't we? I mean, it, but there are limits to that privacy. Right? I mean, if, if, if you meet with your doctor, yeah, you should have the privacy within the, the, the context of conversation in, in that setting. But there's limitations to that, aren't there? We, we hear stories in which people say, well, the female will say, well, it's, it's my body. But here's the breakdown in that philosophy. Okay? Like, we all have a genetic code. All right? We all are born with that. Every one of our organs, all of our tissue, all of it abides by our own genetic code. But here's the deal. When, when you become pregnant at conception, when the baby's there, that fetus inside you has its own genetic code. I watched this video earlier. They were saying, listen, by eight weeks... That baby can suck its thumb. By eight weeks, that baby is, it has organs that are, are beginning to function. That by eight weeks, that, that baby is beginning to grow fingernails. By eight weeks, that baby has its own thumb fingerprint. It has its own DNA. It has its own blood type. That baby may be inside the woman's body, but that baby is not the woman's body. Now again, some people say, well, you're a man. You don't carry the child. I could go on this for quite a while because what's happening in this country to a great extent is through maybe this feminism movement. Now the man has no choice in the matter. Man has no voice. Here, here's where I think we find ourselves on this topic. Without trying to sugarcoat it, and understanding that this may have affected those in here or families with us personally. This is strong language, but listen, I, I believe abortion could be termed in the same with genocide. Look at this. 
little bar graph. You can't really see it fully. We, we use that term genocide with the Holocaust. With Hitler and the Nazis, and, and there it shows 11 million, or well, 6 million of those people were Jews. And we have an okay, we're okay with claiming that as genocide, right? Like most historians will say that, most teachers will teach that. Now Genghis Khan, 1201 to 1227, when he was going around and conquering the world, he, he actually conquered 12 million square miles, the most territory in human history. And they say in the midst of him conquering, he was a bloody tyrant. And he actually, as best we can tell, they killed at least 40 million people. That's insane. But check out that number. U.S. abortions since 1973. 61 million. Sixty-one million innocent babies. You say, well, Chad, yeah, but what about what about those lives in which it dangers women? Former Surgeon General during the Reagan administration made this statement. He said, listen, um, in his 36 years at a as a pediatrician, as a pediatric surgeon, he was never aware of one case in which that child would endanger the health of a woman. As best we can tell, less than 1% of all abortions are done because of that. We say rape and incest, that's a horrible thing. Again, statistically, less than 1% of all U.S. abortions are because of rape and incest. And even if we take it, listen, if we take that all the way down and we go back to that first statement, either it's a tissue of no life and it makes, there's, there's no need for justification, but if it is, if it's a living being, if it's a living human being within that, why should that living being have to suffer for the sins of its father? It's still innocent. Folks, um, I believe this is an important topic. We're in an election year. And there's another debate, I think, tomorrow night, isn't there? Like one of 50. Every week there's no debate. And there's a lot of issues when it comes down to that point where, where we're going to have to decide who we're going to vote for. So often I, I fear this, nationally I know, but even within the church, that our first concern is what is the economic policy of this candidate? Is he going to be able to protect or is he going to be able to grow my finances? I'm of fervent belief that if we are socially bankrupt, there is no way in the world that God will bless us and allow us to be financially rich. The Bible's clear. It says, Be not deceived. God is not mocked. For whatsoever man sows, that will he reap. We just looked at verses in which God said he loved children. And if we as a country 
aren't going to try and protect the innocent and the young, what do you suppose we reap? I want you guys to see this number. Because to me, it's a staggering. I found it online today. You guys see this little clock deal? You might not be able to read it all the way. This is a, a counter, and they get by these numbers um, through different data. And it's not just pro-life organizations that Guttmacher is an, actually an abortion pro-choice organization that helps track this. There's a lot up here. U.S., this is abortions today, according to this data, 2,441 today. Since 1973, a little over 58 million. Planned Parenthood, which has been in the news a lot. Almost 7 million since 1970. Here, here's, here's what troubles me about Planned Parenthood. This year we saw all these, or I guess last year now, saw all these videos pop up, didn't we? And it sparked us. It got us all up in arms. As if this is the first time we've seen stuff like this. But it's not. Planned Parenthood is continually in the news. There's so much information. And, and what amazes me is the, the financial records of Planned Parenthood from 2009-2010, which is the closest data I could find, show that they had a $1 billion profit. And do you understand that 46% of their revenue comes from our tax dollars? So whether we agree or not, we're funding. If you go over to the far left, your right, I guess, in the yellow column, look at that worldwide since 1980. 1.4 billion just this year almost 3 million you guys see that third button worldwide since you loaded this page I loaded this right before we started and that shows that in the time that we've been here 6,602 abortions have taken place worldwide in an hour This isn't easy for us. You know, what would be even more difficult is if we had pictures of what these abortions look like. like I knew we had youth here. But I, youth, I'm, I'm going to tell you, you, you need to do this under your parents' permission. And I would say do it with your parents if they so choose. But adults that are here, I would encourage you. Go home. Google it up. And take a look at it. It's horrific. I looked at it some this morning, and it'll break your heart because you'll see hands, you'll see, you'll see fingers, you'll see arms, you see. See, we don't want to. Like in our world, we don't want to look at that stuff. But that's the reality of what is taking place. And sometimes we need to see how sick, how disturbing, how awful it is to motivate us to stand up and say, this is not right. We will not engage in it. We will stop. We will do whatever it takes to stop this. It is not okay on every level. 
Or we can just leave here and say, well, abortion's not good. Let's not do it. What can we do? There's almost endless opportunities, I think. I asked Jamie to come here on purpose for her to share her heart, but for, for her also to get in front of you and for us to be familiar with, with the Crisis Pregnancy Center. Our youth, I know Zach, Fuller, Natalie, and Caroline, and I this summer went and visited the center and got a tour. I, I know for certain that Jamie would love for each of you to come and get a tour to see what's going on. For those who have the ability to be able to serve and participate within that context, I'm sure they'll find a place for you. One thing that we, we, we all should be able to do is pray. I printed this today. There's several copies over here, but it's a 21 days of prayer for life off of Chuck Colson's website. I'd encourage you. It walks you through 21 days of praying for this. We ought to be praying for this every day. We as a, a church, and again, going back to some statistics, from my understanding of reading what I read, one out of five women who have abortions claim to be born-again evangelical Christians. So roughly 250,000 abortions a year. And the stories that we hear are, are these Girls that come in and and they're ashamed and they're scared and they don't know what to do. They don't know what their parents will do. Folks, as a church, we we have one of our core values. Again, part of the reason why your core values are up on the front of the page is one of our core values is that we're grounded in grace. We're committed to the community. We're committed to the uncommitted. We're consumers, not contributors. We're biblically based. Those are great to have. It's good to have pictures and graphics for it. But folks, we need to go beyond just graphics and make it fiber in our faith family. And so if and when this happens, and I shouldn't say if, I should say when. When we have people, when we have youth in our youth group. When we have single young ladies, college students where where this happens to them. I pray that they realize that, yeah, maybe they've messed up in life. Maybe there's, they've done things that they shouldn't have done, but they can come here and find love and they can find support and they can find a faith family that will wrap their arms around them and help them through this. See, the easy thing for us to do is go in front of the Capitol building and shout and protest against abortion. The hard thing is for us to truly make a difference and engage and help. And that engaging and helping, to me, goes beyond just writing a little check. But it's helping people through life. But that's exactly what God's called us to do. This isn't an easy topic. But I think it's a necessary thing for us to talk about. I would encourage you to take one of these prayer guides. um, Go back to the back table and check out what they have going on back there. Take this stuff and read it. In, in the very back, I put a couple of different things for resources about this actual topic. There's three different books that I would strongly encourage. One's the one by David Platt, and there's two actually by Randy Alcorn that just kind of help talk about this situation, help give answers, and help 
Brandy Alcorn's is great because it kind of shows the science behind it. It shows the, the Bible behind it. It looks at it from a lot of different perspectives. There's a few websites that are listed there for you to be able to get some more information. Um, what we don't want to happen is this just be one nice conversation, and then we move on with the rest of our life. All right? So no questions, no comments? All right, I'm going to pray. Lord, I thank you so much for this day. God, I thank you for all that you've done. I thank you for your word that we can turn to, that we can gather um, our worldview, that we can find answers to. And it amazes me how your, your word is applicable to everything. God, we, we look at this heart-wrenching topic of abortion. And just to consider that since 1980, some 35 years, 1.4 billion children worldwide have been aborted, have been murdered. You are a sovereign God. You are the one who has created us. You should be the one that determines the number of days that we have. You have crafted us. And we are precious in your sight. God, may you prick our hearts. May this become a banner in which we engage and fight and stand for truth. Stand in grace, speak in love, but be bold. I pray that as these elections take place, national and local, that this type of topic not be one of those, it'd be nice if, but this be one of those core values in which we look at. Holy Spirit, I pray that you convict us in ways that we need to be convicted, that you wake us up and use us for your honor and your glory. It's in your son's beautiful and precious and holy name we pray. Amen. This topic, abortion, is a difficult topic. It's hard for us to wrap our minds and our emotions around it. But, but I believe if we claim what we stated, that if we understand that it's a living being in the womb, we all know better. I mean, in South Carolina, if a pregnant woman's urine test indicates cocaine use, she could be arrested for distributing drugs to a minor. In Illinois, very similar, a pregnant woman who takes an illegal drug can be prosecuted for delivering a controlled substance to a minor. That taking these drugs while pregnant is a felony gives explicit recognition of the unborn as a person with rights deserving protection, even from his mother. I mean, even, even from the government perspective, in 2000, the U.S. House of Representatives voted unanimously a vote of 417 to zero to delay capital punishment of a pregnant woman until after delivery.
The bill mandated that no state or federal authority, including the military, may carry out a sentence of death to a woman while she carries a child in utero. A child in utero means a member, this from them, means a member of the species Homo sapien at any stage of development who is carried in the womb. In 2004, Congress passed the Unborn Victims of Violence Act, which states that someone who intentionally kills or attempts to kill the unborn child should be punished for intentionally killing or attempting to kill a human being. And when we look at this, consider this bizarre implication or this double standard. If a woman is scheduled to get an abortion, but on her way, something awful happens and the baby is killed in utero, the baby's killer will be prosecuted for murder. But if this mother does, or if this murder does not occur, then one hour later, a doctor can be paid to perform a legal procedure, killing exactly the same child. It makes no sense. I believe God has called us. Quite honestly, I believe he's demanded us to stand and to fight for the poor and the powerless. For those of you who have had this involvement and maybe you're listening now and you hear this and and you're overcome with grief because quite honestly, maybe you've had an abortion in the past or, or maybe you've encouraged someone You've helped them in that process. But one thing I want to remind us of is that God will forgive us. I I love Psalms 103, verse 12. And it says this, As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. As far as the east is from the West. He will forgive us of our sins. We've all sinned. Romans 3.23 says that we've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. We all need forgiveness and forgiveness is there. And so when we come to him and we ask for forgiveness, I want you to understand and know that he doesn't see that sin in you anymore. He loves you and you are a precious child of his and you go and stand and make a difference thank you for taking the time to listen our goal at redemption hill is to see souls saved and lives changed if the holy spirit spoke to you today and you made a decision or maybe you have a question or a comment i would love to hear from you you can email me at chad c-h-a-d at rh-church.com If you don't have a a regular church home, we would love for you to consider 
visiting us, you can go to our website, rh-church.com, or find us on Facebook for directions. Until next time.